0: Welcome back to Fearless in Devotion. Uh, It's a special one for me because I'm doing it from probably the best place I've ever done a podcast from. Uh, No, it's not Plasmatic. Uh, Let me just turn around this camera and see if you can see that. I'm not sure if it's coming out, but that is the bay in... St. George's in Grenada, where I currently am. I'm about to jump on a plane, and I've missed a lot of Wrexham stuff this week. I know there's always a, there's always a lot going on. This week seems particularly fat. What I want to talk about first, Liam, uh, and we will be joined by by other people, not just Liam, don't worry. Don't worry, Tim fans, he's on his way. Uh, he's just fluffing some stockporter uh, podcasters. We've also got a, a special guest, Mark Griffiths, Mr. Wrexham himself. He'll He'll be popping in. As well, but Liam first, tell me about Grimsby. It sounds absolutely idyllic, more idyllic than this setting.
1: Gr- Grimsby, the place is, is more Id- idyllic. Um, well, that's actually, Cleefords. <laughs> the 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 performance was yeah. I was absolutely. I said it after the game. I was absolutely purring after that performance. It was the most complete performance certainly that I've seen so far this season. I mean, Grimsby weren't any great shakes. I was talking to a few of their fans before the game and when they saw the lineup, they seemed pretty concerned. They said that the likes of Danny Rose are crucial to the way they play attacking wise. And they were. I'm oh, cons- sorry.
0: He's not the Danny Rose that we tried to sign for about 10 years. Is he? I, f- I think it it is. Yeah. I didn't
1: double check, but I'm pretty sure it's that one. We had the deadline day saga where we all thought he was coming and then he buggered off to all the shots. So yeah, I'm glad he didn't play. Cause I would have booed him to high hell. Um, yeah, there was, a lot, there was a lot of things to to like about that performance, really. I was surprised to see Mullen back starting again. I wondered if he might phase him back in more gradually. Oh, I uh, looked totally look to give him another half an hour, but even though he didn't score, you know, he had a few chances. He still looked sharp, still very dangerous. Um, yeah, Elliot Lee carries on scoring yet again. Uh, the man can't seem to stop at the minute. Absolutely lethal. There were some people who were saying they didn't think he was in the game as much on Saturday, but if you get if you keep scoring if well, exactly if you keep scoring goals like that, who who cares, quite frankly? So lots to be pleased about. Bit of a strange atmosphere within the ground compared to uh when I was speaking to the Grimsby fans before the match, the ones I spoke to were all very friendly, knew about Wrexham's history yeah. and, and background, and all you know, very complimentary. Uh, but there was a bit of an edge inside the ground. I'm not sure where that came from. I'm not going to use it to judge all Grimsby fans by because, God knows, all fan bases have got their elements. But there was, you know, there's bottles thrown at Mullen. Um Just yeah, just a bit of needle. Which I don't. I would. I might be imagining this, but I don't think I've really seen that between the two fan bases before. I'm not sure about no, you.
0: They've got. I've Grimsby, I went on a Grimsby podcast a couple of weeks ago, and they really zeroed in on Mullin and called him a diver and a cheat from that five-four game. And they wouldn't stop talking about it. So I don't know if they particularly target target Mullin for that. But you know, even if Mullin did dive in that game, there was about four other penalties that that we could have got which we didn't. Um, so you know, it swings and roundabouts really. Um, yeah, it, it looked good. Hayden, Hayden played. He played the full yeah. ninety minutes.
1: I yeah, I would do. I don't know if it's just my weird my weird perception but I was tempted to give him a man of the match award really just because I think we look so much more assured when we've got that fast player who can you know carry the ball out at centre back we just look like a different team when we've got that um it makes you remember really how much he makes us tick and how much we miss him when he's not there so I'm really glad to see him back again
0: I think he helps the wing back as well because the wing back knows he can bomb on and knows that Hayden can can slot in and has got a bit of pace to uh to to get back really. So yeah, I think I think it's it's great news that that another Hayden injury which could have ruled him out for the rest of the season as they seem to do uh has actually come to nothing. Uh we just need to nurse him through the rest of this because he is a quality quality player. I think that's probably our first choice back free at the moment, isn't it? It's uh Hayden yeah, Tozer and, and Boyle at, at the left centre-half. I mean, he's isn't he our to second-top goalscorer?
1: Yeah, I think he might be. That That um, header where it was sort of, you know, to lean back a bit, that was a really good technique on that. I just, yeah, I really like him. I, as I think we, we mentioned maybe last season that there were too many handsome players in the squad. I'm not saying Boyle's ugly because he would wow. knock me out, but But he's, he's got a bit of rough to him, hasn't he? So... He's rugged. He's got rugged good looks. Let's say it that way. Yeah, Otherwise, I think he's going
0: to put you uh, next time he sees you. Uh, and to be honest,
2: <laughs> probably, yeah, probably.
0: I'm so, not. Uh, I don't want to say. You look lovely in that cap. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Makes you look like we've got a side parting like Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, anyway, be enough. Yeah. Enough of that. Um, the next sort of big sort of piece of news is the cops. So. It's, it's been a sort of an open secret that they, they ain't started it because you can go to the race course and see they haven't started it. Um, I, I read the statement, came out earlier today. I'm, I'm glad it's not just putting the blame on one particular facet. Basically, the WST, right? The WST hasn't given over the lease yet. They're still working on it. Um, nor should they just give over the lease. They have to have safeguards in place because we know what's happened to us before, that you know we need something written in law because it saved us last time. And we're not saying that Rob and Ryan are going to sell us down the river and you know turn us into a B&Q. It's always a B&Q. Um, but who comes next? Uh, and you just need that, that assurance. So, yes, they haven't sorted out the leasehold with the WST. And I'd be surprised if they did start the COP until that has been sorted. Uh, but there's other issues, isn't there? There's the substation. There's the sewerage. Um, is there any what was the fourth
1: thing, Liam? Um so there was also they haven't actually signed the financial um agreement with the council yet. But that's basically they're making sure they've got all uh, the ducks in a row. Um yeah. the other the other thing that they've mentioned is confirmation of the requirements to meet UEFA's uh, category four stadium status. So I think that has to do with the holding of internationals basically, which is what a lot of The gateway scheme, the COP scheme, is about is bringing international football back to Wrexham. So it benefits not just the football club, but, you know, the wider community as well. So they say they're waiting for a report from UEFA basically to tell them exactly what they need to do to the stadium in order for it to meet that criteria, which sounds eminently sensible, really.
0: Yeah, but it doesn't sound linked to the COP, really, does it? I mean, the, the COP is going to be all singing old dancing. I think it, it's more linked to, are the changing rooms big enough? Do they have that drug testing room? Are the media f- facilities mm-hmm. good enough? So, yeah, I, I think that's important, but I don't think that's going to stop the COP being built. You know, we know that COP needs to be built. We know it needs to be as soon as possible. Um, The one thing that I didn't know about is the substation. So is that is that to do with the flats that lighting yes. our car park. They, keep, they they just keep coming and punching us in the balls, these flats, don't they? Oh, thank you. So who's building that substation? Is it the, is it, are we gonna give money to Glendore? Do Glendore do it? Um, is it anything to do with us?
1: So, I don't know. So what it says is that the university has planning permission now to build a new substation. What I'm not clear on and what I've heard Rumors about nothing you know definite, but is that there's uncertainty over who's paying for that because I suppose the university could really turn around and say, Well, we don't really need to move it, you know, because it's
0: yeah, I think, it works,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm sure that'll all get ironed out, but um, it's just another thing where you just think, Oh, for God's sake, you know, there's always something. Yeah.
0: Look, the club will know that this building something like this isn't always. Sailing. I mean, anyone who's done a house extension uh, will, will know that. OK, you probably don't have to move a sewer and a, and a substation and, uh, <laughs> and, and buy a lease off, off a, a public body. But, you know, it, it takes time. Um, the, 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 the annoying thing is, you know, we're still selling out this, this, this stadium. There's still, you know, demand completely outstrips supply. I know I've been looking on Twitter and a lot of people saying, can we put a temporary stand in there? Like, I mean, I, I remember going to the Ashes uh, up at Lancashire and they, uh, I sat in the temporary temporary stand there. You know, it wasn't perfect, but it does a job. It's not just as simple as erecting that, though, is it? I mean, if you are dealing with this substation and if you are moving this sewer, surely you need access to that to that area. And also... It's not just putting a stand-up there. You need turnstile security. You need the t- ticketing. You need f- food, beverages, yeah, um, toilets. I mean, where are you going to go to the toilet? Add to that issue that the council keep having about phosphates. It's the last one we need. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what do you, think? do you think? I don't think they're going to go down that route, do you? I think if
1: they'd known it was going to take this long, then perhaps it would have been an option. But to do it now, when they're going to want to hit the ground running... As soon as possible, once all these issues are, are dealt with, I just can't see it. To be honest, like I can't understand why people are saying it completely because it's, you know, it's worked for other places. But I think the all, all the effort and all the energy is onto the new cop, and I think getting other rigmarole. You know, there might be licensing requirements, God knows what else. So I think they're probably just going to focus on fixing these issues and whacking that new cop up as soon as possible, whenever that might be. For
0: yeah. Um, right. Apart from that, again, as I say, it's a busy week. Rex and Women's kicked off. Free uh, old draw. Saw some of the goals, some some quality goals, some some not so quality <laughs> defending on, on both sides. Uh, but uh, it, it looked like there was a big crowd there at the Rock. Um, it was televised. Do you know, if all the games are going to be televised, I'm
1: not too curious, but it'd be great if they are because I do I think it just improves access. Just lets more people access it you might not necessarily be able to get there but I was told I am not. I haven't seen the official attendance but someone reckoned there were easily 600 odd people at the Rock there for it which you know given that haven't really been playing in front of other than obviously the final game last season they haven't been playing in front of big crowds so I think that can only be a a good thing and it's just great to see it continuing to grow because that's that's a pretty good point against, against Swansea they're one of the bigger teams in that league
0: yeah yeah, I I it's going to take a bit of time for them to find their feet because they have come up a division you know and they'll be travelling a lot of south a lot but you know a lot of the big teams from the south will be coming up here so we can make them events you know taking on the likes of Cardiff and and, and so forth. Um uh on top just sort of dovetailing with that obviously Gemma's really involved with the women's team there was a, there was a bit of bad news about Gareth Owen this week wasn't there. Um he's I think he's he's been in hospital. Um, so we just wish him all the best, and and you know, it was great when he came on for us a, a couple of well, about a year ago now. Um, some great tales, you know. Everyone, everyone who played with him really, really rates him as a player. Uh, but you know, he's also a really good fella, and was uh, was brilliant when we had our live night a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, just best wishes to to Gareth. Um, get well soon, mate. Yeah, definitely agreed. Um,
1: I think our guest might be uh, awaiting us. Um, does this seem a good point to allow him in? All right, let's let's allow him in. <laughs> right here we go. This is where the magic happens.
0: Or, or not? <laughs> <laughs> um, James McLean interview. Did you did you see that, Liam?
1: Yeah, he did two, didn't he? So there was one with RTE News and also one with um Sky. Um I haven't really seen him do too many big interviews like that. Um and he just seemed quite comfortable talking about it. It made me wonder if he, you know, perhaps he feels accepted at at Wrexham given the the really loud chanting of his of his song. And I just thought he came across really well. You know, he attracts controversy for whatever reason. We all know. The issues that have been done to death but like you said you know he's he's a human being you know sometimes you do daft things sometimes you do things like in regards to the poppy which you know he stands by his convictions because he's got his own beliefs and his own reasons and yeah i just thought he came across as a really decent person and fascinating to listen to
0: now one person who doesn't cause controversy is mark griffiths how are you mark can you hear us I'm
2: not I can hear you loud and clear. I like to think of myself as fascinating and I don't cause too much trouble. At least oh. that's what it says on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> Mark,
0: how did you, uh, how did you, we just quickly talked about Grimsby, I think probably uh, our most sort of complete performance of the season. How, how did you view it? Definitely,
2: definitely. It was just, I mean, it, it felt quite comfortable, like the good old days in the National League, didn't it? Uh, and I, I just thought that, that as a Eunice, we defended well. We just kept them at arm's length. Howard had a couple of crosses to take. That's about it. And then at the other ends, yeah, I mean, we put we troubled them enormously. I think I think yeah. they were a bit naive in that they started with the three at the back when they haven't done that all season. So I think some teams have matched us up, and and it's kind of looked like it's worked. But I think if you really look at our games as a sequence, the reason that it hasn't worked isn't to do with matching us up, it's to do with us not quite getting it going at the start of the season, lacking minutes and the legs. So I think if... Oh.
0: You've gone quiet there, Mark.
1: Lost your audio. Yeah.
0: While we, while Mark uh, shout when you when you're back, Mark. Uh, while while um, while waiting for Mark to get back, two new episodes, Liam. Have you watched them?
1: Yes, I did indeed. I uh, devoured them uh, just about on my lunch because there was t- there were two twenty minute episodes um, this week, so quite short. But what I would say is, you know, sort of we so what did we describe those episodes as last week? Was it a Jim Whitley?
0: Yeah. A solid Jim Whitley, uh, a, a, a taster of, of what to come. Do we? I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I have I haven't seen them because uh, because I'm all over here on this Paradise Island, and even though Welcome to Rexham is everywhere, uh, it's also on the front of the Standard today. I've had about 16 texts of people from who I know from London saying, "Why is this on the front of the Evening Standard?" Um, and I can't give them a bloody answer uh, because I'm no idea why it's on the front of the Standard. But you know, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it is, and I'm glad it's uh, annoying the right people. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think we get down to business uh, a little more in the maybe in the third episode, but the second one's dealing with quite an important subject, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: so I think it was entitled the quiet zone. So for people who don't know or haven't been to the race course, that's the area sort of to the furthest to the cop end, the town end. Um, of the mould road stand and um so it focused on Paul Mullen and um his son Albie um and his fairly recent diagnosis with autism. Um and then it also featured Millie Tipping who people on Twitter should know pretty well who sits in the um in the quiet area and it was it was quite emotional really um I, I'm I'm just soppy anyway now. Yeah you, you become a parent. Did you know I was a parent, Andy?
0: I, I, I had heard, I had heard, it was it was on the great line that you have a child. Um,
1: um, but yeah, it just, I don't know, it just makes you a bit a bit soppy, a bit <laughs> emotional. And there was a couple of moments in the episode, it was just, it was really nicely, really nicely told, really dovetailed the two stories together. Um, and it, yeah, it just made, I think it made you realise sort of the human side of a footballer, the different sides of watching a game you know it's a different experience um you know for Millie for example for what it might be to me but also just I'd say what the, you know the fantastic work that this football club does for all all different kinds of audiences really so all of that together for <laughs> yeah I don't think many people who watched it will have had a dry eye watching that um... Oh, that, that
0: that I love that cliche
1: uh, Mark, are you <laughs>
0: back are you back no, we still can't hear you. <laughs> Mark, maybe if you could come back out and come back in again,
2: will do. Oh,
0: oh, oh I'm just- back.
2: Oh, back. <laughs> I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> it must depend it where my head is. I'll stay, I'll stay leaning to the side. We'll be fine. Oh, what well, my well, um, design that is, Mark. Before
0: we sort of go through um, go through the episodes uh, in more detail, I know I know you feature in in one of them uh, quite quite heavily. Can you take us through your Wrexham journey? Um, sort of when you sort of got the bug. Uh, did you support anyone else, or you know, was there a particular player that, that got you into the race course and and sort of kept you there? Because obviously, you know, we've known you for years. Doing the commentary up and down the country—it's something that you love to do, even though you've, you've got a busy day job as well. But you know, it, it hasn't always been this glamorous, has it?
2: No, I, I suppose you could say that, couldn't you? Um, they, they, I, I sort of—they they showed part of my explanation of how I got into it um, on the show today. That basically, my neighbour—I'd be—I'd been playing around in the front garden with whatever. And you were keeper, weren't you? That's what well.
0: you were a keeper weren't you oh you've gone again
1: <laughs> we've lost the uh
0: the voice oh, we've, lost, mark, we've lost you again <laughs> just say i'm just say we'll do just say i'm about to go work <laughs> <laughs> last time you might have to come out and come come back in this this time mark uh oh, sorry about that. We are going to get, we are going to get, get to, get to the bottom of this. Uh, oh, there's another Andrew Gilpin coming in. There's three of us. I'm seeing double, six Andrew Gilpins. <laughs> wow, my mum would hate that. <laughs> oh,
3: Tim, how joking. are you? I'm good. Sorry, I'm late.
0: I'm darky.
3: can you? Is is that coming through? Is in reverse, or can you actually see that normal? Or is it oh, mirrored? Normal.
0: It's can very you? Actually, Lovely.
3: There he is. Old super pill.
0: Yeah. What are you wearing? It looks like a Wrexham sort of dressing gown. Oh, no. Yeah, no. I've, I've got that one.
3: I love it. You own the Wrexham dressing gown as well, it
0: seems. We yeah. No. I do, yeah. Uh, we <laughs> just had Mark on, but he's had some audio issues. So he's come he's come out and he's, he's going to come back in again. I'm going to have to go and catch a flight in about seven minutes, boys. But um,
3: Max out no. the seven minutes. Did, did, you, did you say about the fat ball?
0: Uh, sponsored by the fat boar. <laughs> Good one job, uh, yeah, I've got lots of jobs. Mark, say something. Yeah. Hello, yes, yeah. yes. get in <laughs> technical work. So, yeah, right, <laughs> don't move, do, do not move for the rest of this. Uh, the rest you'll of think this I'm season.
2: frozen, then, won't you? Well, <laughs>
0: uh, uh, yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> carry on, carry on. So, you're in the front yeah. garden, your neighbors.
2: In the front garden, looking for turnips or whatever I did when I was that age. And then my neighbour would come back from the Wrexham game. Now, my dad had watched Wrexham for decades, but wasn't actually watching watching Wrexham then. And so it just sounded exciting because that was that 77-78 season. So he's coming back saying, oh, yeah, we won 7-0. The players were all celebrating. You know, we won the league. And I started thinking, hmm, this sounds intriguing. Um, And so I started getting into it. There was, you know, that was... You know, pretty much last game of the season, but there was one more big game to come Liverpool playing Bruges in the European Cup final. And so, as kids do, I had Wrexham as my local team and Liverpool as my big team, something which I grew out of. Although my son having the same setup meant I have been to a lot of games at Anfield with him, but you know, I'm Wrexham through and through. Um, Don't
0: worry, mate, if someone passed you at the cop, we won't turn on you.
2: Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. so I went through all the fun of the 80s when uh, we were terrible and just declined. Uh, I was saying to somebody the other day about our, my routine on a Saturday afternoon was to meet my mates on a Crispin Lane sign on the corner of the road with Mould road, um, five to three. Yeah. Because there was absolutely no necessity to be there sooner yeah. than that. And we'd wander in onto the cop and we'd be we'd be at the back but to the, the to the right of the front line because we weren't that hard, uh, yeah. making up songs about Ollie Cairns and Steve Buxton, and yeah, that that's basically what it is. I just um, you know, you get hooked straight away, don't you? My dad took me at first. He had a bad yeah. habit of arriving just slightly late for matches. First two games I watched were goalless draws. Third game I went to, there was a goal in the first minute, Mickey Thomas free kick. I didn't see it because we were walking with our backs to the pitch up to our seats. We got. We went to one game where we were we were three minutes late, and we asked the bloke next to us what the score was, and he said it was two all. What so, yeah, I know, yeah, Lincoln City at home. Uh, I think <laughs> it was a Friday for some weird reason, but yeah. So you know, I, I managed to eventually convince my dad we should turn up at the right time, Um and yeah, it's all been hunky dory since then, apart from most yeah, of the football. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who, who's, who's you, since you've been watching him since the seventies and who's, who's your favorite player? Who's, you know, it could be a cult player. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be Paul Mullin or anyone like that. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> for me, it's always, always been Carl Conley just because I love the way he played football and, and where we get,
2: oh, where he came from. And yeah. The um, but well, for me, I'm it's not going to be one of that, those great 70s players for the simple reason I think at that point I didn't understand football that much. I was as excited by the pretty colours and stuff like that. Um I loved, I suppose one player from that era, but after the great team, Steve Fox um was just ludicrously entertaining to watch. He's just a, a slightly chubby winger um, who, you know, when he turned it on, was great fun. I once watched him in a reserve game being refereed by a bizarrely camp referee with a very big, blonde um, perm. And he just kept giving fouls against Fox for no reason. And in, so in the end, Fox just got sick of it and just had the ball, turned and just thumped it straight into the, blo- the ref's stomach from about 10 yards away. And the ref didn't send him off, incredibly. Wow. But when you hear all the off peeled stories about him afterwards, you realise, yeah, he was a he was a hell of a character both ways around. I think my, my all-time favourite was Jim Steele. He was in the early eighty, early to mid-eighties. He scored the goal against Porto that you know beat them at the racecourse, and I, I just loved him. He was so physical in the time we were allowed to get away with that sort of thing. Big sort of sharp-shouldered centre forward that nobody wanted to mark, and he went on loan to Deportivo La Coruña um, from us because basically that season he did so well against Porto and then Roma. I mean, let's be honest, I, I, frankly, football was different then. And English and British teams would do well, partly, I think, because they were rough. You know, yeah. European teams tended to be more the cliches: keep it on the floor, move it around. And then the British teams would come and rough them up. And that's why I think that's part of why Wrexham did so well against such good teams. So, yeah, they saw what he was doing to Roma's defenders and Porto's defenders. And they brought him in on loan till the end of the season. And um, yeah, I, I don't think he scored any, right. um, but it's just, yeah, he was great, real committed scrapper. Scored goals as well, you know. Some target men don't really; they're more working as a to hold the ball up, aren't they, or to help you on. But he scored a good yeah. number of goals. Um, yeah. His legs were weirdly thin for the, the for the, the size of his body as well, which I always found slightly intriguing. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I, feel, I feel like
3: I'm at school. I feel like I'm in Mark's history class. I guess, yeah.
2: I'm, I've just learned that, that we've
3: loaned that we loaned that a player to Deportivo That's,
2: That's blown crazy. my mind because there were That's players crazy. like, I mean, at a higher level. But Mark Hakely was yeah. like an England international. He was a decent, decent player. Please don't get me wrong, but he wasn't a proper full-on vicious target man. I didn't think he was a bit too, bit too, bit too skillfully for my 1980s mentality. But he went to Milan and he was tremendously successful. You know because they weren't used to that. You know, sort of. Pretty tough, pretty awkward bloke. Not a, an all-out eye gouging Jim Steele.
0: I mean that we, we've always had these sort of strange stories around the club. I'm sure every club has, but Wrexham just seems to collect them a little bit more than, than anyone else. And I think that's probably why why the documentary has been so successful. I'm going to have to uh, sort of I'm going to have to shoot off soon, fellas. So I'm going to leave you uh, in in Liam and Tim's comfortable hands. Just before I go, why why do you think that? Americans, especially, have really taken to the documentary and hence the club because I know that you've got a massive fan club over over in the states. Um, you nearly need to go on the next on the next tour because you won't buy a drink. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, why do you think it's connected so much?
2: Me, next question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I I mean, honestly, I think firstly that the show is about community and about heart. It's not one of these just corny behind-the-scenes, you know, sort of, you know, there's there's dozens of them out there, sorts of documentaries. Um, I think that it has weeded out the, shall we say, the Trump supporters who might watch it in the States because they'd have no interest in that sort of thing. And so we're left, and obviously I don't want to generalise, but, you know, my experience backs this up. We're left with a lot of people who have watched a show love to the heart that uh, that's in it, love that sense of people pulling together, love the underdog thing and you know and they're, they're you know sorry but they're decent minded. they repeat that sort of thing appeals to them. And then when they've come in, I, I do think we've been quite lucky, I mean I'm saying that as as a commentary team because our style has always been, well, I mean, t- quite specific really that when it comes to the game, we're, we're more descriptive than other radio, radio professional radio channels. That, that's just my prejudice. I'm sick of putting the radio on and they're going through their notes or telling us what the next game will be while you can hear the crowd going nuts in the background. And I've always hated that. So we always try when the ball's in play. We're maybe a bit too descriptive, but I think that's maybe not a bad thing. And I think that suited new fans of the game because they, they since we've gone on the stream, they've, they've been saying... That, but they quite like that little helping hand. I always thought we wouldn't work on the stream because we are too descriptive. But actually, it seems like a lot of the audience want that sort of thing. And also, we're naturally anecdotal. We want to tell stories. We want to act stupid. We were doing that before the takeover. And I and of course, coincidentally, that's the sort of thing they, the people who have got into the show want because we're quite homespun. And, you know, we know the t- the, the tales and, and and so we've filled in gaps for people who want gaps filled in. So I think it's coincidental, but our way of doing it, I think, has helped. And then once the streaming took off, I mean, yeah, I think lots of people are just talked anyway. But no, I, I, yeah, I just think that, like I said, seriously, I think that that narrowing down process of the audience in America has left us with a lot of people who, if they want to commit to following us, they're making a commitment. And it's, you know, they want to chip in, which is, oh, that's brilliant. I mean, it's amazing.
1: I mean, I'm not sure what um, Andy Gilpin's uh, views are on US politics, but when you had the slight dig at the Trump supporters, I noticed he disappeared. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could he, probably just...
3: He, he was put on his Make America Great Again cap as he laughed.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've always had those suspicions about him, I'll be honest with you, but... Yeah, so, it's
1: interesting... You say about the, the, the connection, though, because you know, I can't speak for US fans, but when I'm listening to commentary as well, one of my biggest frustrations, especially listening to Wrexham, because every, I don't know, every game just feels like a nail-biter. The amount of times you're just shouting, where's the ball? Where's yeah, the ball yeah. on the pitch at the moment? That's what all I want to know, so I can visualise in my head, are we just about to concede a 90th minute
2: <laughs> equaliser well, you're, you're the same as me, then, because, like I said, if, if I'm on it... People often say, who are your favourite commentators? And I generally say nobody, because commentators annoy me. And I do fully, fully accept I annoy people as well. I, I You know, you, you do you do something to an extreme, you will annoy people. And, and I accept and that, and I totally agree with their rights to not like it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's absolutely fair enough. It's a matter of taste. But I'm the same as you. It's like, I've always tried, Now I'm not saying I succeed, but I've always tried to Make sure I am mentioning the time, because the number of times, like I say, you're following a game on Twitter or something, and it's like, yeah, but what minutes is it? You know, is it is five minutes? Now? You know, you don't know from your watch, do you? Because games have all sorts of you know, different factors that pull the time around a bit. And like you say, I really try to say, like 30 yards out, or whatever, just to try to give a bit of a, a picture. You know that thing about where the phrase back to square one comes from? apparently it's uh, when they first started doing radio football commentaries they published they publish a pitch split into yeah. sections and there'd be another person not the commentator in the background saying uh, square two to say where the ball was square four back to square one and hmm. supposedly that's where that phrase came from and I I don't think that's an awful idea I'm not going to start us doing it that would be weird but I don't think that's the worst idea just to help people imagine it you know what I mean I've seen the pictures of- yeah, yeah. You channeled your James Alexander Gordon then for a second. Was like <laughs> a, for it was like four seconds.
3: And for anybody who does not know that, is, you should do. Yeah, four, <laughs> five. Yeah. Um. Oh, so many, so many questions to ask. First thing for me as a as an advocate for for swearing. How have you <laughs> never swore on a broadcast, or if you have, can you remember when you did and what
2: I, you said? I really don't think I have that
3: um, takes some doing that is that is that is that is that something that's from instilled as a teacher and you've taken that disciplined aspect into yeah. it because I dare say working with with children and working as a commentator you must have your I mean do you have a stress ball in your pocket do you have a voodoo doll how does it work where you you, you need to burst with that frustration but you you choose not to do it in that manner
2: I think there's a few factors in this. I do think my mum and dad were not keen on me swearing. So I think yes. I've sort of grown up not as a default, you know, sort of uh, you know, swearing anyway. You were brought up, not dragged up. I was, uh, oh, that's beautiful. Um, but I am I'm dragging myself back down now, to be fair. <laughs> um, I I never thought about the teacher thing, but that, that could well be a factor because, yeah, I, 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 I but I, I I must be honest, my dad was a teacher and he always told me, never be angry with the kids. If you feel upset or angry about something, walk away. Talk to them when you're calm. And if you are telling them off, it's acting. And he's 100%. It was 100% right. It's the best advice I was ever given. I actually feel, and this may be a, a weird answer to your question, actually, I don't know how to think about it. I've always thought I'm, I'm lucky. I'm sort of hardwired to not take what the kids do seriously. Do you know what I mean? Kids, kids make mistakes. Kids are growing up; but that they're allowed to. So, I've never really got upset by something a kid would do, even you know, doing head of year stuff where I'm having to sort out discipline and things like that. I, I, so, I think that's partly my personality, and I think the football side of it is partly that. I think I'm, I think I'm quite lucky. I think I'm quite, I think I've got the sort of personality where I, I put things in perspective. I could be wrong, but you know, I'm sort of thinking, okay. This isn't good. This is another game on Tuesday. So maybe in the back, it's that sort of mentality. Um, but a lot of people do ask me, why don't I just get upset? Um, and I think it's also partly because I don't, I see it as a job. I've got to try my best, whether I succeed or not. Okay, I, I, I don't know. But I try my best to try and get across genuine. I think's genuinely happening. And I think because I've got that job mindset, I don't. Te- I, I don't think I react too far either way which is nice when we're doing badly because I think it doesn't hurt me too much. And it's sort of not that nice in a way when we're doing well because I can't go nuts. Well, I, I'll go a bit nuts, you know, because I think, you know, the the, the audience won that. It's a wrecksome commentary. But yeah, I think it's partly personality, partly upbringing, I think it's genuinely true, and partly just that I think I see myself as a, having a job. I'll shout at the tally when there's teams playing that I don't care about. And yet I don't with Wrexham for some weird reason. But I do care, honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, you must be like a rarity. I can't think of many people who've,
3: who've gone to watch Wrexham and never cussed. Maybe Annette Gardner. She strikes me as the sort of person that wouldn't really turn the air blue. Yeah, she's um, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. That takes some restraint, that. Fair play. Do you have a... a you know, you got you got like pre free match for the players. they got a pre-match sort of... Routine? Okay. Do you have any? Pre, do you have a pre-commentary routine? And do you have any pre-commentary
2: superstitions? Right, no superstition. Okay. I did superstition when I was about twelve, <laughs> because I uh, I realized it didn't work. Uh, earlier than that, a couple of years earlier than that, rexham played West Ham in the FA Cup third round. Oh, it was one of, one of my favourite moments as a Wrexham fan they'd won the FA Cup the previous year and then their first game defending it is against us we draw at West Ham we then draw at the race course extra time, still a draw and I, I, I do understand why they can't do this anymore but as a kid I used to love the, the long drawn out FA Cup ties that go to like a fourth replay they were amazing and the tension was brilliant and so they toss a coin at the race course and we won the toss so we're going to host the second replay that's nil no nil. Goes into extra time. We've used our warm substitute. Only one sub then always blows my mind now thinking back to that. You remember who it was? Um, I don't remember who it was, but I do remember that as a consequence of the change, Dixie had to go to left back. So it must have been Adam Wire who'd gone off then the left back. And we, we've got a striker on the bench. So they've just put Dixie at left back and whoever, Steve Buxton or whoever up front. And um Dixie scores with about I think it's about 10 minutes left of added time and I'm I'm sitting there panicking because my watch strap had broken on that day and I didn't think and went out without a watch and I wanted an hour long's left and I've got no watch and I, oh West Ham battered us they battered us and battered us and somehow they didn't score so we'd knocked them out of the cup and it was like oh I was just so happy and then I thought oh this obviously happened because I haven't got my watch on. That's clearly I was a decisive factor. So for about two years I didn't wear a watch to a football match. Um I I used to get stressed every game because I didn't know what time it was. And I, and when it occurred to me when we got relegated twice that maybe the, the no watch strategy didn't influence football results. And I think <laughs> since then I've just decided I don't I'm not really superstitious. Um <laughs> stupid watch. The, um, although I'm not wearing a watch now, I see, just to make sure that, you know, it all goes well. Uh, and then routine, my, my pre-match routine is to get upset with the equipment. I get all lot of stress out, that's it. I get my stress out before the game, that's what it is. Um, there's always some weird little glitch that'll happen and it's always completely random. I set the kit up in exactly the same way as I have done for years and there'll always be one little thing wrong and you can't always work it out and it really drives me at the wall. Um, and I, you know I've had people who know what they're talking about looking at and saying, "Yeah, that's right." Like, Why does it all come out wrong? And <laughs> um, it's partly as well because the the lines we have to use the ISDN lines they are fragile, and so that always makes me a bit nervous. So <laughs> yeah, I usually go. For, I'll go for a coffee in the morning, and you know maybe have a little look at the other team. But I've usually done it before Saturday, and then I'll I'll go to the game early, set up, weep into the mixer desk. And chat to everybody, and then suddenly we're on air. That's basically it. In terms of the audience
1: for your broadcast, it was interesting. Um, on today's second episode of the documentary hearing you talk about you know going from the hospital radio broadcasts. I mean, when you were doing that, you can't have ever envisaged that you would be doing it to, to such a global audience. What's that I guess that transition like been like for you? And you're obviously quite active on social media. Mm. So I think you've probably seen through that, you know, how it's changed over time as well.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, doing it in the hospital radio, you just no idea if anyone was listening, to be honest. (laughs) But having said, it was still gratifying because if one person's listening and it's making their stay in hospital a bit better, well worth it. Um, But yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when we started off Ask Wrexham, now we, we, we can't. Get through them. It's impossible during a match. And that's why I've done the extra podcast. And even then, I can't get through the ball. Um, But when we started it before the takeover, um, we'd usually get about 20 a match from five or six loyal people. And if there was a big home game with a big crowd, literally on occasions, we'd get none. And so that's a big difference. You know, just that I like the interactivity, but gosh, it's hard to keep on top of it because you want to answer questions. And there's some really good questions as well that really make you think. Um, so it's really changed. Absolutely, I I must admit. Oh God, this is making I, I'm starting to feel I'm a freak. Um, <laughs> because to be honest with you, I I feel I've taken the weird that the massive change and the weirdness of it all, sort of in the stride. I've just sort of feel like I've just carried on doing what I'm doing. Um, and I know that sounds odd, but yeah, I don't think the things are really the, the two things that really hit me. Were that I'm, I've always, and my my wife, my lad, we've always been massive Always Sunny fans for years, and so I'd heard Ryan Reynolds was one of the two people, and I'd never actually seen a Ryan Reynolds film before the takeover. I have now, but I I knew full well who he was, but I'd never seen any of his films, but I didn't know Rob was the other one, and Ollie Williams, who was also a big Always Sunny fan. Handed basically it was leaking out, wasn't it? And so we had it was sort of, the announcement was a bit early. And so he said, This is the name of the other person. Don't say it until half time. It's getting announced like 7:45. And I opened a piece of paper and I said Rob McElhenney. And I just looked at him. I just thought, he's taking the mic here. Come on, he knows I'm a fan. Come off it. Um, but it was real, and that that bit really blew my mind. Um, him phoning me here, I think blew my wife's mind more because. I, I we knew it was going. He was calling at some point in the day. I look at my phone. Phone rings. Look at my phone. Number withheld, uh, Bellevue Hills, California. And we're thinking that could be him. Um, and I answered there, and my wife was silently dancing around me with excitement. And I said, "I'm sorry, I can't concentrate." My wife's a big fan, and she's going mad. And he said, "Oh, give her the phone." So I gave her the phone, and they had a lovely ten minute chat about cats. Uh, so, so that was her <laughs> mind blowing moment. And my other yeah. mind blowing moments. I know it shows how trivial this is and it's not logic my mind's clearly not logical when I when I found somebody told me oh I saw you on IMDB I was like what and that felt more weird than a lot of the other stuff just that on that huh? you know <laughs> what I mean? it just was so peculiar that I was so I I, I don't know that all the rest of it seems to just I'm just accepting this is logical rich people have taken over everything's great they bring their rich friends that feels I don't know somehow it feels normal I don't think I don't think I think straight do I this is good psychiatry thank you
1: was it at that stage when you saw the IMDB entry that you employed your agent
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh don't you worry mate I'm still on 100% and nothing Uh, (laughs) I I occasionally I called by as a You know, it's a joke that I called myself Disney's Mark Rivers on Twitter, obviously. I do still occasionally get people saying, why are you calling yourself Disney's? And I think, oh, I have to explain this. not To someone who really doesn't get why I've done that, it's a bit tricky to sum up in, like, why was 140 characters, you know. Apart from that.
3: Apart from that wild American who's now got the, your face tattooed on their backside, and it's got Disney's Mark Griffiths written underneath it. That's if you it. haven't done that yet, I reckon there there is a definitely a member, a, a high-ranking member of the Mark Griffiths Appreciation Society U.S. branch, that is happy to get your face tattooed somewhere on their on their body. So, I, dare, well, I dare one of you.
2: Double then the one with me on their backside. <laughs> obviously, my expression is the sort of uh, I would assume, but
3: um, I I I just got a vision of the Alan Partridge moment. You know when he rips his shirt open and there's a, there's a picture of him. So that that would be that would be high end. That would be good.
2: Yeah. So do have to explain woman. where we are by saying it's just off the M56. Like Alan Partridge, <laughs> <laughs> just bringing, sort of background
1: to the documentary because we. You know, we obviously started chatting about um, this week's two episodes. So you were involved in the second one, the Notts County one. How did you find um, the one before that, the one about the Quiet Zone?
2: It's beautiful, wasn't it? You know, I'm not saying that lightly. To just take strip away all our our biases about our team, that was just a, a lovely half hour of, of television, wasn't it? You know, I mean, you know, Albie's clearly a fan fantastic lad. And he's clearly got fantastic parents and it doesn't matter who they are. That was just wonderful. Um, I liked how that element of it was mixed in with the fans of other teams perception and talking about, you know, these people are people. I really liked that. Um, And then I loved at the end when they were showing other teams fans being positive about us, because I've got to say personally, I, I think because, I'm fortunate we get so much social media involvement now. I only have really time to look at the stuff that's directed to me, and people are lovely. So I don't tend to see much of the negative stuff. And I've got to say that in my, I I know there's loads of it, I know, but, and that's natural, like they said in the show, you know, someone else is lucky. I want to be lucky. But the almost 100% people I talk to, press, opposing press, you know, opposing fans, Just general football fans all just unequivocally say, this is brilliant. You've got great owners. I've seen loads of people on social media take people down who are moaning, who are not our fans, just saying, but these are the dream owners. I've got bad owners, not them. Um, So I was glad they showed that because that genuinely is my experience. Uh, And then Millie, of course. It's just an absolute legend she was she was living at large at the game on Sunday, I can tell you, you know, but it's just brilliant, but it was so her mum was so good and she was so good at talking it through because again, being in education, I, I will see plenty of kids um, with autism and and, and other uh, situations that make it difficult for them socially or difficult to connect to people. Uh, you know, so I've, I've seen all that, I've done the training. But that really, I thought, encapsulated it brilliantly just to to any audience of, this is what it is, and it doesn't, as you said, it's a superpower. Uh, It was just great. And and a bit of Kerry's work as well. Uh, Yeah, it was just lovely, wasn't it? It was so moving.
1: Yeah, you do feel, like I said before, you do feel, you don't really realise, I think, until you take a step back, just how much this club does to cater for all different varieties of fans, you know, through Kerry's work, through the DSA's work that, you know, preceded it. It's, you know, it's quite immense, really. You don't see that at Premier League level
2: with a lot of clubs. No, it is superb. I I always tell people who visit about the whole, you know, uh, Tanny Gray and everybody talking about us in the House of Lords and, and essentially, let's be honest, us being used in the House of Lords as a stick to beat Premier League teams with because we had you know, we had better facilities than Premier League grounds. And I don't mean in proportion. I mean, in absolute terms, you know, we had more wheelchair spots than Man United. <laughs> and then they, they hold 77,000. That's a joke. So I, I just, I've always been proud of that. And yeah, but it's amazing. I mean, Kerry is is beyond belief for me. I, I, I can't, the, the variety and breadth of what she's done even before the owners came in just jaw-dropping as far as i'm concerned it's astonishing
3: yeah yeah that that episode as mm. a double bill packed so much into both and mm. oh i tell you i was a struggle when I saw moles eyes watering constantly mm. and it was like i said I put I put a tweet out before i remember when when he came to us and people were saying he's going there for the money he's the big mark sign signing of course he's going for money and he went on record to say, Well, I'm going because I want to be closer to my family. And even you'd still get detractors there and go, No chance, no chance, it's the money first. If you had any doubts, for those people who had any doubts, you watch that episode and you can be in no frame of mind other than knowing that he is very much this is my family. This bit just happens to help. My family live a very, very nice lifestyle. Mm. I'm doing everything I can for my son. And the whole thing, that that interaction he had with Ryan about counting the fruits and how much that meant to him. And it was just like, and the good thing about this was it didn't really teach you to suck eggs about autism. It didn't tell you why Millie needed the air Defenders.
0: Yeah, so if, yeah. you want,
3: if you want to go and find out why, go and mm. Google it. Learn a bit more about autism and how it is very much a superpower as opposed to being classed as a disability anyway. So it was delivered in such a, a heartfelt way. And yeah, it's one of those I kind of want to I want to watch it again. Yeah but it was a it was a tough, yeah. tough watch in the very best way possible if you know where it comes from. Yeah. It's just yeah, it was a proper heart heart tugging one. that I think.
2: And you you're right there, aren't you? It was very skillful the way it was told. It wasn't ramming stuff down your throat. It did yeah. something more important it created empathy. Yeah. I mean you see people as people. And that that's that's the more like you say, that's the more effective way to make somebody understand rather than get technicalities thrown at you. Absolutely yeah. right. I thought when um, it was really sensitively handled and when you see certain sniffy uh comments about us, say in the media, um you you know you you look at the way they handled Mullin breaking down and how they kept that in, obviously with his permission, the the way he handled it was just perfectly in that he's not ashamed to cry in front of them. And he said, these things happen, and I I have to deal with it. And he he showed such genuine strength in being able to say that and in showing that. And it was really, it would have been the easiest, laziest thing in the world to have trimmed that out. But I think that, that bit said a lot about his love for his boy. Um. So no, I I just thought it was so well done. It, it was beautiful.
1: Yeah, it showed a depth of character that I d- I don't think you get to see, um, from footballers in in mm-hmm. a lot of the the new sort of you know. There's plenty of documentaries out there. but I haven't seen that many where I've got such an insight into the character of a footballer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you must get some insight in into that because when you're a fan, it's. I think sometimes it's quite. Detached, isn't it? You know, there's a separation, sort of physically there for you. But speaking to them, you must get some, you know, some insight into what they're like as people. And you know, from what I've seen in this documentary, I don't think there's many, many players you can say come across as thoroughly decent human beings, really. Absolutely. Although,
2: ironically, I i don't have that as much of that insight as I'd like, in a yeah. way, for the simple reason that after the match, we do the podcast. So I, do, it's a long time since I've done. The actual player interviews as such um but i i do love you know you i i don't really enjoy if i'm honest that situation because you both know what it's like you 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 know you have to go along a sort of are you happy you won are you sad you lost sort of line and that really doesn't help anybody to come out with it but it is those are the quotes people demand you know so it is sort of tricky. It is much nicer. But with Dragon Art, I've been able to do some with old players, some of whom I've never spoken to, and um, some of whom I've sort of known fairly well-ish, but not that well. Um, and it's been brilliant just to talk to them as people and ask them their human reaction to stuff. And also, the most gratifying thing, I float a lot of my lunatic theories to them, and it, a lot of them tend to be right. I'll oh, say, so you know what? I thought this didn't work because or this bloke here, was he? And and they'll be like, Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, you're quite right. And so I was like, Oh, good, because I thought I was mad. So uh, yeah, I got I got a few odd ones out of them. <laughs> but yeah, I love that sort of injury being. But um I don't get that much chance now. I'll bump into them in the corridor and like you say, they're a nice bunch of lads. I have nothing, I don't think I recall a Wrexham squad that weren't, if I'm perfectly honest with you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they are just human beings at the end of the day. And um, something I'm quite interested in is sort of the mechanics of, you know, how the documentary works. I mean, I think most people who've got any basic knowledge of media will know that you do quite a lot of hours of, you know, recording compared to what we actually see on the screen. How much have, have you been involved, I guess, from day one with it?
2: Right. They, they came into the school and filmed an entire lesson. I stopped it about 20 minutes early. Because they were coming round to talk to the kids as well about the impact of the town. um, So, you know, so they did that. They came into the school again during a holiday and we did like about a two-hour interview and that's the stuff that came out in that Notts County episode of me perched on a chair like some sort of obese owl looming towards the camera. Um, <laughs> the They also, they've come to here to my house a couple of times um, and that was cool, but I, I you know, I, that those both would have been about an hour, I would think. And occasionally they've they've caught me somewhere and, and taken the opportunity just to get a bit more material to see what they want. So, for example, um, I went to one of the women's games at Ponky when the cameras were there, and so they just thought, oh, yeah, can you have a quick word about this? You know, just just you know, might fit in, might not, that sort of thing. Fully aware that most stuff I'll have said will end up on the cousin room floor that's what that's what it's like um but they are brilliant to do stuff with I tell you what I will say is that you know people thinking it's staged that uh, it certainly hasn't been my experience don't get me wrong they've they've prompted me in terms of the sort of subject you want me to talk about but they've not you know they've not said oh please can you say this please can you say that they've let me say what I want to say um, and that's been quite pleasing. I felt in the first series that it did reflect well what I've experienced myself being partially on the inside, and and likewise so far this one as well. But and they certainly haven't been, yeah. Saying please, can you please can you uh, make that cup of tea again? <laughs> yeah, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, except that that bit they showed when I set up equipment that took ages. Um, it really took eight because I was genuinely setting up equipment and I was also having this. Oh, hang on, that's not going to work. Oh, god, but they're filming me, so I better carry on. So that, that took quite a while, and it's, I mean, it doesn't, it's no surprise to me, but yeah, that was that's like 10 seconds worth of material in it. <laughs> me me unlocking the gate, and yeah, oh. have the, have the
3: kids have the kids treat you differently yet? Are you expecting a bit of uh <laughs> stick, or I
2: don't think I get. I don't think I'll get a stick, but I can handle it. Don't worry. <laughs> if necessary, I'll come out on top of that one. <laughs> just a little warning to any kids listening. <laughs> um, no, they're lovely. They just get really excited. Um, I showed them because Josh Williams, a lad who left this year, actually, is year 11 last year, was at the very start of the first episode. Yeah. And I was just chuffed because he's there in his uniform, and I thought the kids will love that. When I showed the older kids and I said, look, look at this. Remember this guy from last year? Look at him. On, he's on TV and it's in here, you know, and, and they were looking and, and they loved it for, in the way I thought they would. When I showed the little first years, they just kept screaming, that's you in the background. That's you in the background. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no man. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm saying, yeah, look at him, look
3: at him. <laughs> well, you're not prompted to hover in the
2: background and look busy. are like,
3: just, just have <laughs> a <little laughs> course for
2: that was genuine, although it did look like I was going, you know, big smiles. Yes, you Boy, know, it did look a bit like that, but I'm afraid that's how I am a bit in class. Um, no, I think it's just that, you know, it wasn't that big a room. <laughs> we got all the kids at the front to give room for the cameras, so it was hard to get out their line. I think, to be honest with you. I really tried. When they talked to the kids, I genuinely tried to stay as far away from the camera as possible because I I would be absolutely happy for one of the kids to slate me and then use it. I don't mind. I don't care. Um, but I didn't want to hear anything or make them feel they've got to say a certain thing because I'm there. If they want to say, I don't really think this, this takeover has done much for the club, that's fine by me. But you know, so I didn't want to be looming right next to them. So they felt they couldn't speak their mind, you know? And, of course, I don't know what they did say. They all enjoyed it. They loved it. I'm like I...
3: mentioned... oh, sorry. Yeah. So you mentioned the the women a second ago. Mm. Um, you were at the Adran Premier Bow mm. the other day. Six-goal thriller. Mm. Um, you were there. You were commentating on it. What was your thoughts on that? That was a bit of a rip-roaring kind of game. Do you think they'll acclimatise themselves fairly straightforward to this division I think I think but well, not evidence I would suggest so
2: I would too um, I mean you look at the recent history of that league and it's Cardiff and Swansea you look at last season Cardiff won it and they were a good distance ahead of Swansea but they were a good distance ahead of third place so you know you're talking about those two teams really are not the level to be measured against in terms of survival but to be measured against in terms of winning the thing out or getting in that final top four league, well, you know, I mean, we should have won it. Uh, I, I, I do accept that Swansea, I thought, you know, they had a lot more of the ball than we did. They'd missed a lot of good chances. But, you know, that that's irrelevant. We were as dangerous as them in a different way. We soaked a lot up. We hit them on the break. Um, I think in, in that level of women's football, I know this is going to sound stupid, but the straight ball over the top is more effective than the man's game, where a conquo launches the ball straight down the middle and it fizzes straight through to the keeper. But you know, Luisa Doran, she else she can strike a ball, but it was sort of dying forty yards out from the other side's goal. That's what Rosie Hughes wants to run onto. So we look so dangerous going forwards with pace. Uh, we'll score plenty of goals, and and so yeah, I, I would. That made me think. Okay, you can see Swansea are a really quality, well grooved side. They got played; they were in the Champions League last year. They, they should be, but we've got we've got the firepower to hurt teams like that, and we've got a basis to build on, um, and actually be at a Swansea or Cardiff level soon. I think That was. I loved it. It was brilliant, great game as well. But then every Wrexham game is a great game, isn't it? At the moment, everything's heartbreaking or hard stopping.
3: Imagine. <laughs> Imagine if they secured Champions League football in their first season. Because I know Gemma Rowan, when she came to a Grosal Reds meeting, she said that that was obviously one of the ultimate Mm. long-term goals. And Mm. they're kind of on schedule for what they're trying to do at the moment. They've raised the profile, obviously, with the the aid of Robin Ryan's backing. Where do you think they can can take this? Because you kind of... Obviously, women—the women's game has exploded, mm-hmm. probably in the last ten years or so, you know, bigger than it's ever been now. And you look at the likes of Arsenal and so on getting huge, huge attendances. We've even set the bar ourselves to a certain yeah. extent with that sellout crowd last season. So, how, how do you how do you think it will pan out? How do you think it will develop mm-hmm. in terms of where the team goes, where it, where it branches out to? I guess.
2: I I mean, I, I'm going to take the optimistic line because to me that feels like the more more likely line, really. I think this season, I, I think we suggested in that match that we could aim for that top four end bit of the season. I think Cardiff and Swansea will have the experience and quality that, you know, it may take a year or so to build up to that level. Maybe not, I don't know. But I do think that's what we're heading towards. Um, because you know, you look at that team. I, I think. I mean, I, I. I. hide no. I don't. I, I don't make any attempt to hide the fact that women's football in Wales is at quite a developmental stage. I. I. I have personal views. I won't go into now about how uh, the efficacy of the FAW in the being the body that nurtures that. I think they make some odd decisions, but it's still in an earlier stage, and therefore. Although I was impressed by the women's team last year, at last year I thought, oh, there is a possibility that because the Welsh FA haven't allowed more teams into the top division, that there's a big cliff to fall off and that it's all very well us playing North Walian teams that will go to that and get our backsides and to us on a plate. I don't feel that anymore after watching Saturday, uh, Sunday. I, I'm So, yeah, with the investment that's coming into it, and like I was, I I was trying to say, I lost my train of thought, so I was saying about there's only two debutants on that team. That was the team... In the second level last year. So that tells you something about the quality of players that, that were already at the club. It's not you know, Nottingham Forest saying, all right, we better buy another 24 players now because they were good enough for the championship, but it wouldn't cope in the Premier League. Yeah, and mirrored
3: where... the team, they've mirrored the men's team, haven't they, in terms of buying, yeah. recruiting smartly to take on that division head mm-hmm. on straight away?
2: And the two centre backs that making the debuts were superb. I mean, Adoran was out, out of this world, and Allen was just looked such a steady, strong influence in defence. And then and Keriakopoulos comes on on and, and her he scores. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. You could see that that those levels coming in, couldn't you? Um, I, I, I here's a way to upset Wrexham fans. I kind of see our aim as being um, actually pulling off what TNS thought they could pull off in the, in the men's team, <laughs> that. You know, we're in the Welsh system, unashamedly. We would not have interest in going into the English system, but we could perhaps set ourselves up as extremely strong and expecting to go for the title every season and being quite regular in the Champions League. And with the money that comes in from that, you know, we may be able to, you know, really develop further. And, okay, big fish in a small pond, but it's also important pioneering work. Look, I've said, this a number of times I just feel that if the FAW play this right and take advantage of our growth, we could be the one country in Europe where the women's league is more important than the men's league. Not no offense to the League of Wales, but that gr- that crowd at the racecourse was also was it what three times more than any League of Wales crowd? You know, so go figure. You know, I mean, we could we could really achieve something remarkable, and then yeah, if you're a big fish and in a small pond, will be it.
3: I'd love to know if TNS chairman Mike Harris would be raising a glass
2: of wine to that comparison now or chucking <laughs> it at his laptop in disgust. Well, either of them is fine by me. He can <laughs> afford a new laptop, can't he? he, can. he can. I smashed Geraint Gar- Paddy's laptop once, changing the subject completely. I was sitting next to him in a press box. I really can't remember where it was. I want to say Altrincham, but I-, I picture it. It's not Altrincham. I don't know where it was. And the ball, I was sitting next to him, the ball was smashed straight at me. And, you know, being the greatest goalkeeper in Australian football, <laughs> um, I instinctively got up and punched it away, but punched it sideways straight into his laptop. And just, <laughs> possibly the greatest moment of my life. What did he say? Because, like, like,
3: Gowan to me is such a calm, assuring, yeah. Mr. and placid. But I've seen him get angry and I've never been so terrified of anybody <laughs> in my entire life. He's like, you just light the fuse and he's just like one spark away from literally, like you know, wasting 20 people with an earshot. He's, he's just <laughs> terrifying when
2: I've seen him angry. Uh, he said, Nope, oh, never mind. <laughs> Essentially. So, yeah, uh, I'm on his good list. So he, he wasn't going to go for me. It was a good punch anyway. I mean, I think he admired it. <laughs> to, um, mm-hmm.
0: I'm
1: just going to bring it on to fiery um, exchanges and just bringing it back to sort of the second episode of this week review. What did people make of that, um, Paul Mullen and Tozer? Because I've heard some people are like, oh, God, that was really fiery. And I I don't know. I, I, I just thought that's two teammates in a high-pressure situation, a changing room where everyone's really keen to get to this goal of promotion. But I thought it was good they left it in though, because again, yeah, you don't yeah. always get to see that in you know modern documentaries, do you?
2: I, I I think that is so so true and sums up why this show works. It's a program made by our owners to benefit our club, but they recognize that they can't do a sort of North Korean propaganda job on it, they actually are willing to show it warts and all. And I can also imagine, despite the agreements Tottenham say, or Arsenal will have had with Amazon, I can also imagine that if something like that happened, to that extent, they'd be straight away saying, right, well, um, we're vetoing that. And yet we've left her in, and and he's dead right. And it it is nothing. Well, I I say it's nothing. It's good, I think. Um, I mean, going back to Dean Keats, Uh, the idea that he would bring in character as well as good players that he brings in Pearson because if you don't match Sean Pearson's standards he'll tell you in no uncertain terms and you will make sure you do it right next time and I feel that is essentially doing that Mullin has every right to stand up for himself as well there's nothing nothing significant in him exchanging words whatsoever that happens in every changing room everywhere Um, if it doesn't it means they don't care so for yeah. me, that was that was great. People may, well, of course, people try and make something else of it. Well, I mean, if if they if they hate each other so much, why do they get or clearly get along so well? Why do they keep playing in the same successful team? You know, nah. Uh...
3: I th- I think we needed that different point of view because we've seen yeah. Parky get angry and Parky's enthusiasm counter. We've never really seen any. Mm. Um, tension between the players but they had to show that because clearly it was such a big game and there was so much riding on it even at that stage, you know, early in the season, first, versus mm. second, almost like a six pointer early on and to come out of it having lost um, there was always going to be they weren't going to walk in and go oh well never mind we've still got plenty of the season to go yeah. it showed straight away as like just the frustration of mm-hmm. couldn't quite get it over the line and and didn't quite heed park advice on the film review i think he said i think his line was smother the life out of out of him yeah i went for that effect um so i think it was right to, to show it and to be honest in my head if there's not five five or six little differences of opinion like that during most games i'd be very surprised because yeah. you're always striving to get the best out one another yeah
2: I mean, I agree completely, and it, it is again—they've—they've they've had that, they've got that ring of authenticity in the way that they interact, and I, and I think that's great. Rather than, like you said, trying, trying to do a snow job on it, and also, I thought it was really skillful that they really gave me a sense of a recollection, if you will, of what that game was like, because that game, you know, without drawing it out and leaving it on for ages, which I don't think would work with a modern audience. They did sum up that, that that game should have been five all. I mean, can you imagine the game ending five all? Um, it was just they, they, you know, they missed well, we missed easy chances. And Mark Howard was that was his best game of the season, I thought last yeah. year. He was absolutely outstanding. And, and both sides could have easily have said we should have scored at least three or four in that match. And I thought they summed it up by showing Howard making a really good double save, by showing that failure of Mullin to pass it, to show, showing that confrontation. Yeah, it did sum up exactly how that game felt, and that was, I think, a very skillful thing to do in in a matter of two minutes. It felt like a spurned opportunity. I, I, I like that.
1: I think it was the probably the episode where, yeah, would we say that you, that you featured the most? I know last season we had the Mark Griffiths noiseometer. I wish that would <laughs> have returned for this season. Really, I found that quite entertaining. <laughs> I, I,
3: I, re- I reckon you swore in that somewhere, but we couldn't make it out. I reckon <laughs> if you took that to the police and they deciphered it, there'd be a
2: swear in <laughs> there. Well, I'll tell you what happened with that, and I I've got to say, you know, cut this out if you start thinking, oh God, he's telling this story again, please. But that winning goal—I mean, we went crazy, and I sent it straight into the club because I just thought this has got the potential to go viral, and it did get a hell of a lot of traction on social media. Um, But I've got to be honest, I sent it in because of what my co-commentator, Andy Parkinson, said. Because basically, the the ball went in. I went just insane, just screaming, yes, 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 over and over. And then after all the insanity ended, um, and actually, he's doing it as well. He's the the more high-pitched one you can hear. He's just going, (laughs) But then when it all calms down and I finish screaming... He very calmly goes. In case you haven't guessed, Wrexham have scored. I thought that was the line. That was why I sent it in. And I think, understandably, when they trimmed it down, maybe they, I didn't. I didn't say that's the line. They left that out. And I was so glad that, that the actual Welcome to Wrexham left that, his line in, because that that was that was beautiful. All the insanity and then him being terribly dry. That was that was the thing that made it good. I thought it was it was it was crazy wasn't it
1: i don't know timing. <laughs> what was it? i mean you've said that you sort of take it in your stride but how did you feel watching that today i'm assuming that you've um sat down and watched it
2: um it did feel a little different because it was actually me sat down doing it rather than just voiceovers if i'm honest um i got oh, i might as well say it terrible confession I think I I was a little bit like excited without fully realizing it because a couple of times I said something and I laughed out loud. And I was like, don't laugh at yourself. But I did it again about five minutes later. I was like, don't do that. That's an awful thing to do. But yeah, it was it was sweet, you know. Uh Emma, my wife was watching it as well and she was chuffed with it. Uh but yeah, it was it was, it was fun. It was really, really fun. Um and and just strange, because I was sort of thinking which bits will stay in, which bits won't, yeah. just out of curiosity. Those photos as well, I gave them those photos to to use, and they were really effective, and they were, there were some doozies in there. Tell <laughs> you what. <laughs> Fuck, I, I couldn't find the picture of me as a 10-year-old in my tight-fitting, shiny Adidas shirt, and I have found it since, and I'm really annoyed. because <laughs> I mm. wish I'd sent that into. But you have
3: a consistent... Mm photo face. You know, Rob McAhan, has got the consistent <laughs> selfie face. He does that oh, thing. Right. Yeah, has yeah. got a consistent smiley. Here I am. <laughs> proper radio broadcaster's face. So there I, you
2: go. I never knew that, but I'm pretty damn sure having a radio broadcaster's face is an insult. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, no, you're on a podcast now. It's fine. It's all good. We've got okay, the visual man. as well as the voice.
2: That's it. I was hoping to start some sort of fight between us over the whole podcast thing, but, you know... Well, you've
3: You've already declared um, Dragonheart as the oldest um, Wrexham (laughs) pod on
2: the Final Whistle is the oldest football podcast full stop in the world. There you go. Um, Dragonheart's longevity has nothing to do with me. I've I've just jumped on it. You
3: you drew your battle line there, but it was in in chalk, so we just rubbed it out. Yeah,
2: fair enough, yeah. Absolutely. If I've learned anything from Donald Trump, uh, <laughs> it's it's that you should take the facts in, absorb them, and then dump them out and just say whatever you want. Exactly You've been learning right.
3: from Andy Gilpin, one of Donald oh, Trump's
2: absolutely. prime yeah. Welsh
3: disciples. Um, <laughs> just bringing it back to you for a second.
2: Um, That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
3: Um, press box <laughs> etiquette. Who's the worst and why is it Tommy
2: Cows? <laughs> well, tragically, at the race course I'm in a different press box from him. Wow, I, he's got his I, own press box, or you've have- got his own press box where where uh, delicacies from the takeaways of the North East Wales area are brought to him. Um, uh, sorry, he's got made in the shade. He has. Uh, no, we um, it's the, the right up, bang in the middle of the Wrexham Lager Stand is the broadcast bench, and then right down the front row of the second tier on the left by the cop is the written bench. I was on there for ages on the very end doing the hospital radio, not a good view. Um, And I never understood that Dave Lovett and Mark Curry always wanted the other extreme end from me. I've just realized probably why they sat there (laughs) and I've just explained it, but I never understood because they were pretty much level with the six yard box at the cop end. And how the heck did they see what happened at the other end? I, I never understood that. But um, oh yeah, Tommy's an absolute disgrace. But you should have seen his <laughs> his middle class uh, heirs and graces coming out at Wembley uh, for the FA Trophy final, and no. he was there wandering around with you know pomegranate parfait tarts and things like that. And oh, you've got to try this. You got he's using his real voice when he was down. That his
3: real voice. That's true. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's right. You, you've got to try this. I mean, it's 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 absolutely remarkable, and it was you know it's shocking, isn't it?
1: Marford originally, isn't he? That's a little known fact about Tommy that he's from from Marford. I
3: think, isn't he? Yeah, is he? He was unofficially Ryan Reynolds is a state agent for Marford not so long ago. You <laughs> believe the rumors.
2: Is. is really yeah. different. I think to how it used to be. I used to be fascinated when I started doing it. With the likes of Mark Curry, Dave Lovett, Les Chamberlain, real professional journalists who knew exactly what they were doing and exactly what they needed, and I used to really enjoy. There was always this back and forth between everyone of um, who who took that corner, you know, like the, the the sharing of information, which I don't I don't hear as much now, and and I don't know if that's because you get a lot of club media you know, like myself who are actually. Giving a more biased version, or maybe more interesting and getting something out live than checking the veracity of it. Um, (laughs) I remember getting a phone call at work from Dave Lovett and that the day after we beat Peterborough in the cup in '97 because he'd heard something I said in commentary and he wanted to check it was right. And, um, well, firstly, it wasn't. I realised when I, I said, did I say that? It was a slip of the tongue. I, said, I added 10 goals onto how many Steve Walken had scored in the FA Cup in his career. Um, but I just like that. I just like that. I, I like proper... Jour- I'm not a journalist, but I like proper journalism and those sort of standards. And, and obviously, you know, newspapers have a different method in a lot of ways now, don't they? You know, and that not plenty of people have done great work with Wrexham stop doing it partly because they they wanted, it's not what they got into journalism for, but I, I quite like that in the press box. You don't si- find out quite so much. The, sticking
3: with the press box theme for a second. Um Have you, I know I know you've encountered some problems in some places. Hmm, yeah. Or, Warren Wood and Kings Lynn. Now, let, let's, we're not in the same division now, so we can roast them a little bit, it's fine. Oh. Um, the Borenwood thing, tell us about it, and and the Kings Lynn thing, yeah, just tell us about them both because the Kings was very well documented and what happened there with Mister Cleave deciding to to let the press corp travel down, only to then say, "You're not coming in, lads."
2: I mean, the tragedy of of both clubs really for me, and I would lobbed over in with that, is, which always feels unwelcoming when I've been there. Um, is that the national league fails to have consistent rules, mm. and sometimes doesn't stick to all those rules, even when they have them. And it can allow one rogue person to to damage the name of a club, because you go around and you talk to club media or other game, other clubs, so you you know they come to us, and nobody's got a good word to say about Boreham Wood, but it's only it's only one person making it like that. When I've been to Boreham they're lovely. Um, the first issue we had, well, he sent a letter around, an open letter, didn't he? Saying, Oh, um, I've calculated that there's X number of hangers on, and that you know, we're losing 10,000 pounds a game. I thinking, really, mate? Really, there <laughs> are that many freeloaders, really. Um, and so, yeah, uh, so I'm going to be charging this, charging that, doobie doo doobie doo. I'm thinking, of just, just if you genuinely think that's true, which you didn't, just tighten up your entry procedures. <laughs> you know, don't leave the door open. So It's like, again, The Simpsons, isn't it? It's when they go through all the um, security locks in the nuclear power station and then they find the back doors open and there's a dog wandering in. It's that sort of thing. Um, it was just bull. And the first time we played there, the, the club rightly said they're not going to pay. And I sent them a real stinking letter, really, really, really saying this is an utter disgrace. And the person in the club that picked her up, phoned me up and basically apologized for what they were doing. And said, I'll get you a ticket. In the way and I can't get you in the press. No, no, don't. He said he would get me in the press box. And But I, I, I was, part of my complaints was I've already bought a train ticket to go down. And I thought, that's a decent chap. And then I started thinking, I'm not going to take him up on it. Because he could get sacked if they find out. So I didn't, but I went in the away end instead. But, you know, there's lots of good people. I mean, the Kings Lynn thing, I didn't actually travel over, Mm. but they they were told the second time that they couldn't, At first they couldn't come in, but then when they let them in, that they couldn't commentate. And Cleve said, "I'll I'll have somebody watching you all the time. And if you try to commentate, you're getting kicked out of the ground. Now, when I was told this, I was back here. But I did have a stream of the game. And I said, should I do a commentary? And just just, say what I think. And rightly, the guys at the ground said, well, no, because they're probably looking at our website as well. And when they see there's some sort of commentary coming out, they will kick us out. And it's a total waste of time for them. So I didn't. But we did agree was that at Five o'clock, once the game was over and the press stuff was over, I did a, a ranting podcast saying about what they'd done because they, they you know, it was after the game. You can't kick us out. Um, that's just embarrassing. But the National League's got to carry the can for a lot of this. But, that near the end, they seemed awfully glad to have us and sad to see us go. I think, sincerely, but in the years leading up to that, I didn't feel the league itself made us welcome. An awful lot of clubs did. I think it was we, we came across an awful lot of good clubs and an awful lot of good people. But the National League, you know, I'm sorry, you're virtually a professional league now. You've got to say these are our rules. Stick with them. What if Boreham would come up and the owner starts doing the whole, well, we do it this way, to the EFL? What the hell's going to happen then? Because they're not going to back down. I don't think he's going to back down. That, that'd be a bloodbath. That'd be, oh, I hope to go up. That'd be great for him, wouldn't it? Bloodbath of Boreham Wood by Mark Griffiths. That's, that's the oh. author. Yeah. How about Bloodbath of Bromley? That game, mm-hmm. the the very first game. Remember that first game of the Gary Mills era yeah. uh, at Bromley. I, I mean, they're so friendly at Bromley. They're really nice, and they was they were saying to me, they they said, oh, but you, you won't enjoy Boreham Wood. They said that there was a fight in their directors box when they played Boreham Wood in the playoffs, and it was like you know Bromley. Friendly place, you know what I mean? It's like for them to have a punch up there must have been pretty tasty.
3: <laughs> Best and worst press boxes ever that you've ever experienced. And I include size, uh, quality, uh, pre match, uh, food and drink, the general overall arching theme. I always think Brighton was quite high up for me, mm. Brighton was pretty good. Um, worst was for me, probably Bath City when it was behind the glass, wasn't a fan
2: of that. Yeah, I hated behind glass. Um, The, I think you're right, Brighton was really good and the first time we went to Wembley was really good, saying about food because it was an FA catered event and I just, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like some bloke who's come up from the little town in Wales. Oh, look, free chips! You know, it wasn't. It wasn't that I'm fully. I'm. I'm. I'm fully. Oh, fair I'm fully <laughs> capable of handling myself in a natural restaurant, you know. But I was impressed by the stuff they had. And I thought, oh, this is very nice. But then when we went there for the playoff, it's funded by the National League, isn't it? And it, I was, I was like telling people, oh, you're gonna love this. Oh man, I tell you what, Wembley put on a spread, but it's a National League gone right. What's your cheapest menu? All right. If you did half of that, could we pay a quarter of the amount? And I, I always remember so clearly. It was, it was supposed to be fish and chips, and the fish was like a sort of two-centimeter-square piece of fish, and the chips. Oh man, they had they had paper cones, and there was there was a lad, a trainee Wembley trainee, with with a pair of tongs and these big thick-cut chips, and this woman standing behind him, going. Maximum of three. Maximum of three. And she also, every single time, people remember, free. And he's putting three chips in. That's <laughs> walking off thinking, stuff this. But then, of course, the FA Trophy against Bromley, you've got old middle-class cheese wandering around with his fancy tarts and stuff, haven't you?
3: There you go. Another reason to get out that godforsaken
2: division is yeah. your three chips <laughs> and know two-centimetre piece of fish. There you go. And, and then Macclesfield... I always sometimes I used to go down quite like it and sometimes I used to think this is just a plank nailed across from wall to wall it's not that great gaisley was fun because they had weird slanty desks and then you couldn't get they were all this one really long row i've got a picture of me wedged underneath it because i tried to go under and back and back in underneath it um I also had a really good argument at Geisley once, which was weird. I think the bloke was a bit stressed with hindsight, where he tried to move me 10 minutes before kickoff when I had loads of stuff plugged in. And he started shouting at me and saying, I I was like, who do you think you are? I am Geisley Football Club. (laughs) So I started shouting, I'm Wrexham AFC. It was brilliant. It was like King (laughs) Kong and Godzilla standoff. Beautiful. I don't buy reminds, press boxes.
1: Reminds me of um, a forest green uh, press bloke I saw who was wearing forest green coloured trousers, which I was quite impressed by, actually.
2: You know, where, where does he source those? That's a bold move, usually only seen on an outcast video. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> oh, the, I remember being a little, like, should we say feisty fans... Who are too close to the press box for my liking when I'm spouting my pro-racism nonsense? Um, when again 97 at Birmingham, oh they were tasty, and it was like I was in the front row of the press box, but there was a weird sort of slanted roof thing, and then the Birmingham fans, I never done where it was, maybe the press room was like underneath or something, you know, um, and I'm glad it was there because when Devlin got sent off for trying to put his, his studs through Martin Jorg's knee. Uh, you know, a crime so bad that even Martin Bodenham, the most meek referee of all time, gave him a straight red card. I just called it as it was. I didn't say anything remarkable, and the whole like three back rows heard me and were turning around. And it was a they clearly wanted to kill me. They were like all those undead people storming over the wall in Game of Thrones. <laughs> You're all <know>, like limbs, <laughs> and I was like, please, please no. And of course, they couldn't get to me, but um. Remember at Crawley having this really angry bloke who looked like a retired docker because of course Crawley's all about the sea isn't it um he was just sitting there with these huge tattooed arms and he wasn't happy because there weren't enough press seats so they put me next to him and he was just like growling at me all through the game I did my usual thing when I think something bad's going to happen of really being flattering beforehand in an attempt to butter people up so they don't hit me during commentary um, and it's sort of it half stuck with him, but not fully. And he was "I'll be just,
3: amazing if he's still there when we go back in a few weeks.
2: It would be brilliant. It wouldn't point would you again. It wouldn't <laughs> trust me. Uh <laughs> look, he'll have been in so many knife fights since then. I don't reckon we're going to come across him. To be honest, and Millwall's terrifying. Yes, as terrifying as it should be. Yes, I, the only be. time I ever went on the fans' bus down because I always thought I won't go on the fans' bus because. I'll, I'll, I won't arrive in time to set my equipment up, but one time was the middle wall when the bus driver didn't realise it was Lord Mayor's show, and we arrived at 3.15. And the receptionist, he definitely, deliberately kept me talking because he knew I was desperate to get in because I'd missed 15 minutes of the match. And I was just like... But again, he, he was scary. So I was just like, Look, can, can, I, can I come in though? You've checked all my credentials. You've seen my name on the list. Can I come in? Well, hang on a minute, son. I don't know. I don't know if you showed your ID card. He put a knuckle duster down on the desk. <laughs> I, say, yeah. I raise you.
3: <laughs> yeah. To avoid they were... in the doubt, we have Mark Griffiths on the pod and not Ray Winston, just in case you're not viewing this. <laughs> that is a good impression.
2: When a fan stops, Stop. <laughs> He says in the most unconvincing voice, doesn't he? It is. He always I, goes like, you know, oh, don't gamble. It, it'll be awful. Wink. Yeah, that'll be great.
3: I'd buy that more. I'd buy that more for sure. <laughs> Mark, we could talk forever. I think um, we're going to have to, we'll definitely have to get you on for like a second part or a third part or a fourth part or what, or whatever point. Um but a few more questions for me, then we'll wind it down with a bit of a, a prediction-y type thing. Um, Did you uh, curiously, Obviously, you get the you get the the team sheet. You look at them. You've studied your players. Is there anybody any any particular player thought I'm going to struggle with that pronunciation, so I'm going to learn it. And then when
2: you've gone to say it, you've completely butchered it. Um, Kerry Coppley on Sunday. Anna Kay. (laughs) There's a recent one. Yeah, I, I I was annoyed at myself because I love language. You know, I'm an English teacher. I love other languages as well. And I always like sort of like looking at pronunciations and just thinking a bit and thinking I want to try and get this right. Um, and I thought her name was actually very easy to say. And then when Ashley came to say it the first time, it was just I, I, I think I called her Phil Coleman, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I after that I was all right. <laughs> but um, oh, the worst thing is when you're you're doing it and. I've, I've not had this happen often, but I've definitely I, I i admit to having this happen. You start commentating and you're talking about the other side's left back, who you've never seen play before, Morris. And then about half an hour into the game, you'll you'll have a little look down and, and realize his name's Andrews. <laughs> and I've done that a couple of times. I got, and it's 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 horrible. I really feel bad about it when I do it, but um, because I'm sort of you know, I, I, no matter how much I look at them. I I'm still. It still feels like it's a fresh thing when you see them in the actual game. So there's still a bit of a process of just going through those names as we're going along, trying to get them stuck in my head, so I don't have to look down. And um, yeah, occasionally I'll manage to get the wrong name stuck in your head, and that's quite embarrassing. Luckily, of course, I'm primarily broadcasting to some fans who don't care what anyone else's names are. Most the... I did once. Oh, sorry,
3: most just before I forget really um pre-Hollywood most surreal moment you've ever commented on for some bizarre reason I've got Stephanie Booth's golden envelope in my head oh, that's nice As a potential one and I'd love to know how you how you commentated on that if that's an
2: obvious one unless there's anything else that that trumps that one. um I don't think we were doing half-time commentary at that time so I don't think I commented on it and I don't know what I would have done because I've I did feel a bit dubious about it, to be frank. Um, So I'm pretty sure I didn't commentate on that. Surreal moments. I I swear to God, nobody remembers this, but I swear it happened. Um, Vince O'Keefe playing the goal for Exxon. Ball's in the other side's penalty area. They launch it long, just goes flying over our defenders, and it's bouncing slowly to O'Keefe. He's standing on the edge of the area, obviously impatient and just decides to step out of the box, pick the ball up and step back into his penalty area. And then when the ref, you know, funnily enough, gave handball, he went nuts as if to say, well, nobody's near me. So it's okay to do that. That sort of, I can only assume that was his argument. I'm speeding the game up here, mate. But he, he just took a big step and picked her up and walked back. I was like, what the heck is going on? And Of course, he's the one you've obviously seen the, Mansfield mixed up with Phil Hardy. Yes, yeah, the, uh, which is which is absolutely not Al Phil Hardy's fault in any way, shape, or form. Oh. Just as he just as he passes the ball a yards to Vince O'Keefe, Vince O'Keefe decides to look at the pitch and shout at a teammate. <laughs> it goes through his legs. It's just oh god, he he, he was a gift that kept on giving. We also uh, the, the obvious one, but i I I've said this a long time, so I'll keep it short. Is the time and again, Andy and I were commentating at Kidderminster. 2003 the season we went up and there was a gust of wind the The stand opposite the main stands had been knocked down to build the one that's there now they had scaffolding for the cameras and the big gust of wind the stand was now and the scaffolding landed on the pitch thank god nobody was filming it from there and thank god no, the play was on my side of the pitch because people could have been really badly hurt um but the game was held up for about 20 minutes and we were live and luckily, oh, gosh, bless her, there was this little old lady sitting right in front of us who seemed to think. And I don't I don't understand this because clearly this is where all the away reporters were or commentators. She seemed to think we were talking to her, not commentating. And she was constantly turning around and chatting to us during the game. And we, like like the well-brought-up boys that we are, didn't want to be rude so we we'd start we started so sort of, when she said something we'd start sort of responding to it but in a commentary way so that the listeners didn't think it was odd so she'd turn around suddenly and say oh our left back's playing well today isn't he and I'd be gonna and um Rex really have to watch out for that kid left back he really is doing a good <laughs> job up and down, he's really working hard because we didn't want to upset her um <laughs> and then when that happened the scaffolding falling she suddenly became our secret weapon because we interviewed her essentially without her probably realising for 20 minutes about how Kiddermans' season has gone and which players she thinks are playing well today. Um, So that was quite fun. And very shortly afterwards, the game was stopped again. And I think I was on my own in this one because a a burger van outside Preston's ground caught fire. And so they had to stop the game again. And it was like, what the hell's going on? (laughs) It's what's following me around this is. I was also, um, I did a pre-season game, which I don't understand. It was a mix-up. I used to do for Marcher Sound. I used to do Wrexham games. They sent me to Porth Madog for a pre-season match. They, the station had clearly misunderstood the nature of it. It was, re- was Porth Madog first team, Wrexham reserves, and Blackburn youth team in a triangular competition. Um, the marcher thought it was us playing Premier League Blackburn. So they sent me along. I I was about to point out to them what it was, Then I thought, hang on, I'll get paid 25 pounds to do this. So I didn't. And my stay in Port Madog went in. Port Madoch were thrilled. They'd just put in new press facilities and they wanted me to enjoy them. The the their their chairman met me at the at the at the entrance to the turnstile because they you know, who, well, we got an actual radio station coming. This is great. Um, brought me into the changing room, introduced me to Rex and reserves. <laughs> like, you know, people that I knew, like Sean Pejic. And Be- i like, hi. And they're like, why Why is he being introduced to us? Then he took me into the Blackburn youth team's changing room, which, you know, as a teacher, I felt a bit uncomfortable with. I'd done the training. Um, and I was, uh, you know, all these poor lads who didn't have a clue. This bloke's being paraded in front of them like the bull at Harryford. And um, and then I said, okay, so all I need a phone. In those days, that's all, that's all we needed. And they said, oh, we've we got a new, we new press box. We don't have any phone lines in it. I said, that, that, that's, that's an issue. And they said, oh, we do have one phone with a view of the pitch. It's in the announcer's box, which was a really narrow shed on the far side. That was the only thing on that side of the pitch. So they sent me in there. And the problem was the announcer wasn't there. So there were no announcements. But there was a phone. And I, was only do- I wasn't only I doing commentary. I was just getting, you know, the- marched around to phone me up every 15 minutes and ask me to give an update. And the, the phone would ring. And then people started talking to me in Welsh, and my Welsh is not good. And I'd have to explain, hang on, hang on. And they'd say, what time's the game finishing? And it was because it was like the the sort of office phone as well. And like people who wanted to pick up their kids were calling to ask what time the game ends. <laughs> I was like handling all these mad phone calls while trying to do 15-minute reports. It was different, really different.
3: I bet, without a doubt. Oh, crazy times. Crazy And
2: times. a couple of weeks later, went to Bramble Lane, my phone rang in the press box, picked her up, and a bloke tried to order pizza off me.
3: Nice. Literally say, two weeks later. Did you go along
2: with it? Um, I sadly didn't. I'm so angry at myself. I really should have done that, shouldn't I? And you say about well, Geraint getting angry, the most angry I'd ever see him was when he tries to order the pizza for the coach back. Because <laughs> consistently, the people who work at Domino's do not know where the local football ground is. The best one was Alfreton which we passed on the way to the ground and which you could actually see from the ground. Inside the ground, you could see the dominoes. And Geraint phoned him up and he said, please, could you bring a pizza to the football ground, which was literally about 75 metres away. And the lads goes, there's no what, what football ground. And Geraint went, not telling. It was beautiful to watch.
3: I'm surprised he didn't march over himself and collect them in person. <laughs> yes, yeah, probably. he probably
2: yeah. did half-time,
3: didn't he? Don't incur the, the wrath of the parry, that's for sure. <laughs> um, have we discussed COP news, Liam, before I came on before? Yes,
1: we've we've been through the uh, okay. the running order. And I believe we're on predictions for Stockport, mm. of which I have Mr Gilpins, If uh, I think it's from a Republican convention it's come through <laughs> uh, live from, And he's going for Stockport 1,
3: Wrexham 2.
1: Who wants to take the mantle
2: next?
3: We've got to give it to to Mr G. Pride of of Wrexham, voice of Wrexham, we have got to hand it over to him.
2: Well, if uh, Mr Gilpin hadn't shot off to whatever rally he's attending, um, I, I would have been able to confront him with the fact that when he was in the Wrexham mail, uh, he asked me and a couple of other people to be in a prediction league, and my moniker was Mark Griffiths Wrexham Supporters Association. And I thought, okay, if I'm in the if I'm in the, the paper every week predicting Wrexham lose, the sports association is going to get slaughtered, isn't it? Because there'll be people complaining, oh, why does the sports association think we'll lose? Oh. So I never put us down to lose once in the whole season. It was quite a poor season. And as you can imagine, I finished bottom of the league by a distance, constantly putting these optimistic com- comments like, I know we're fourth from bottom, but I think that this away game against runaway leaders Luton Town is exactly what we need to put ourselves back on track. Luton nil, Wrexham four. You finished and, uh, top of
3: the Optimism League. That's yeah, exactly,
2: looking. exactly. Um, I, I, I don't like doing predictions, I'm afraid. So I'm just going to say, I think it'll be a jolly nice game and we'll all have a lovely time.
3: I'm going to take that as a five-nil victory to Wrexham and I'm to yeah. roughly translate as that. As... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, i just I came on fresh from from a stop-up podcast, and they were a bit like me, quite like quietly confident. They were keen mm. to point out that they are awful at defending set pieces, which I'm. I think a Hayden Tozer combo is longer with you, mm. so I fancy that. Fancy Mullen. To crack when he was a bit rusty last week, I fancy that happened. I'm going to go with three one. I just am, and I've I said right Wright will get sent off. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I just find it mental that he's established himself in this Stockport rearguard. But who knew John Walters was going to become an international? So anything's possible. Um, <laughs> so yeah, three one is my slightly outlandish prediction. Um, I feel like I should temper it. I feel like I should be one of your students and be a bit more measured in my approach, uh, and I'll have you in the background, like you know, the little devil and little angel.
0: On the show. Yeah,
3: yeah. Three one, no, no, no. It's probably <laughs> going to be a nil-nil draw. Oh well, my! Not- voice again, away. You
2: know? <laughs> a, why not just predict that we'll win three-one, but it will be quite wet. You know, <laughs> so there's positives, negatives. Take out the day. You know? It's uncovered as well, isn't it? We we'll all going to get drenched. Well, am I not right in saying Stockport well, haven't given us that bit of the ground? Haven't they oh, only no. given us the seats at the, right in the corner and they've not given us the away service? I believe be I'm right. That's what I've been told. Yeah. I
3: think
2: that, that might well be correct. Um, My prediction,
1: I I feel like most and fans don't find it fashionable to say that we, we shouldn't win away, but I quite like the view that a point is a good result away from home. I think it's going to be quite a feisty atmosphere because they seem to think there's a rivalry there. I don't count them in my top five rivalries. Probably, are they in my top ten? I don't know. But I'll go for one all.
2: I, I take that. I, I, I think the longer we go unbeaten since Milton Keynes, the more we establish ourselves as being right up there at the top. And this is one of the toughest away games probably we'll have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, it's fair, a, you know, but
3: let's I just take assume, it. But I
2: don't want it. I want to
3: win. Let's, let's assume Reese Williams would probably go for a Rex and Ross because he uses the <laughs> <his> grains <to laughs> next Who is Reese Williams? Who, who is the lesser spotted Jason Mohammed impersonator currently <laughs> swanning around France um, in the hope that Wales will reach the knockout stages of the Rook. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Um, I think we've covered most bases for now, but I, I feel there's loads of unanswered questions. I, I think we will come back to revisit with you at, at a later stage when Andy isn't firing off empty rounds into the sky
2: in support <laughs> of uh, Mister. He's, He's going to hate it. a polling booth from un- undesirables. <laughs>
3: Andy, Andy, Andy O G, sort of Andy G, Andy O G Gilpin. Oh dear me. Storming, yes. storming <laughs> Capitol Hill
2: as he did. Um, <laughs> I saw him with the big horns. Aye. Yeah. All that bombshell.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, always, we always like to leave on a bombshell. Well, that's a pretty good one. Um, yeah, I don't know how we've turned Gilpin into a raging <laughs> MAG. Yeah, um, never mind. It's one of those things, isn't it? I'm sure he'll take it in good grace, probably. <laughs> Right. Um, I think that's everything, isn't it, we got anything else on the list? Is that is that a lot? Oh. That is a lot. Happy days. Right. Well, um, Mark, thank you so much. It's been thoroughly Absolutely. enjoyable. we I don't think we were expecting anything less, to be honest. Um yeah, it's been great. It's, it's fascinating. It's not it's even for like the likes of us, we hear you, we see you, and from a from a, a, a sort of content creator point of view mm. and then we, we've got a hold our hands up and thank you for all the hours you put in it's not easy you know it's not easy to to even put something like this together it takes a bit of effort because you want to package it quite nicely and make sure people enjoy it so you know you should you should give yourself a big pat on the back for all the, the hours endless hours that you put in um to everything you do So yeah I think I can speak, speak on behalf Of the lesser spotted Williams And the uh, <laughs> Root and Tooting Gilpin um, In saying that
2: Oh thank you It's been an absolute pleasure It really has It's been great fun But uh, yeah It's uh, I admit the football thing Is time consuming But you know It is wrexham, So it's a pleasure
3: I mean, there's, there's worse things To talk about In the current climate I mean Exactly you know, It was a hard sell During the COVID season And everything else mm-hmm. But you know um I'm a firm believer every every club has their time in the sun. Mm-hmm. And we're having hours. So <laughs> long may it continue. So yeah. Mm-hmm. On that note, I think we'll uh, we'll say goodbye, Liam, and then you can hit hit um stop, stop recording. But yeah. So cheers and we'll see you all again next week.